Well, hello there, and welcome back to Monocule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. I'm your host, Roman Tagal, and in today's special episode, we'll be talking about M&A trends in the CDMO space. This is part of a series of roundtable episodes to Molecule to Market that we are undertaking to kind of give you as much as you need to go into 2022 with some kind of key trends and kind of movements in terms of where the market is going. And the first of that series is this one around the merger and acquisition in a fast-moving M&A space uh, within contract services, specifically within the CDMO space. And my guests today are Jean-Jacques Mondolini, who's the managing partner at Wombat Capital, Mark Quick, who's executive vice president of corporate development at Resi Farm, and Jerry Cox, who's vice president at Pace Life Sciences. One of the reasons I wanted to host this episode and and get these particular guests uh, was, one, I find the M&A space really fascinating. It's the kind of stuff you read about when you do an MBA or if you do business at university. But these guys are kind of living and working in this space day in, day out. John Jack brings a very unique perspective because he does a lot of deals as a kind of advisor uh, and you know between buyer and seller, Mark, who we've had on the show before, very popular podcast guest, has purchased many sites and businesses across the world. So he brings a very unique perspective from the buy side. And I was really keen on getting Jerry Cox, who's been on the show when he was the kind of CEO at Valesco Pharma, which has since sold to Pace Life Sciences. So Jerry brings the seller perspective as a founder, what it's like to kind of sell your baby to another organization. And so that was really important to me that we got the kind of three different perspectives to kind of give a bit more of a holistic view of how these deals actually happen and kind of lift the lid over the process. We also talk about how the dynamics of M&A have changed over the last decade in the space and how it's still a very fragmented marketplace, um, but the increased funding and presence of PE and how the pandemic has really, really shone a light on the sector um, is just driving more kind of deals. The guys go into quite a lot of detail talking about how the multiples of EBITDA work and how dizzying some of those multiples are as people kind of fight for assets and uh, you know drive deals throughout the kind of various areas of the sector. And finally, the guys also talk about some predictions of whether this kind of deal flow will continue, whether the multiples will remain as high and all that type of stuff. It's a really, really fascinating episode and one I uh, was an absolute pleasure to host and facilitate today. As always, thanks so much for listening to Molecule to Market. It really means a lot to me. Your feedback is hugely appreciated. And if you can give us a nice uh, app score, a nice five-star rating on your app of choice, that would be a delightful thing to make my day today. At the very least, please send this episode to a friend or a colleague and tell them to subscribe. Enjoy today's episode. We are supported by ZymeWire, which is the leader in actionable sales intelligence for life science business development professionals. In fact, thousands of life science BD professionals start their day with sales signals from ZymeWire. And our friends at ZymeWire are giving Molecule to Market listeners an exclusive deal. Just head to ZymeWire.com 
forward slash molecule to market to learn more. Hey gents, welcome to the show. And I'm going to start by introducing you all, or actually allowing you guys to introduce yourself. And I'm going to start with you, Mark. Please give our listener a, a bit of an overview of who you are and what you do. Hi, Roman. Thank you very much for that. I'm pleased to be here talking to you. Um, so let me introduce myself. I'm Mark Quick. I'm responsible for MA for Resifarm. Uh, Resifarm is one of the leading CDMOs. Um, based in Sweden, and I've been there for about 15, almost 16 years, worked on many transactions where we've been acquiring um, companies and businesses. Um, so that's something about me. Thanks, Mark. And it's good to have you back on the show. Your uh, your first time round was one of the most popular episodes we, we've had. So I'm expecting uh, a, another sterling performance from you today, Mark. <laughs> And next up, we have uh, Jerry Cox, who also has been a guest before and had a very popular episode. So, Jerry, uh, great to have you back on the show. Um, please give our listener a bit of an overview of, of who you are and what you do. And also, if you don't mind, just a, a little bit of a flavor of the last few months in your life, just so we can give our listener some context to the perspective that you bring to today's M&A uh, special. Sure, sure. Th- thank you, Roman. Um, again, this is this is Jerry Cox. Currently, I'm the Vice President of Commercial Development for Pace Life Sciences, which is a uh, life science service provider that's uh, getting more and more into the uh, contract development and manufacturing space. Um, prior to uh, joining Pace, I was uh, one of the co-founders of Valesco Pharmaceutical Services, um, and I did have an opportunity um, about a year ago or so to do a podcast with Roman. Thank you for that opportunity, and um, you've set the, the bar pretty high, high with Mark there, so, so we'll have to see how this all goes. Um, and uh, the, the reason that um, uh, Romani have asked me to come on to this call is, um, you know, since I've last been on a podcast, um, uh, we were acquired by Pace. So um, that, that deal closed on October 1st. So it's, it's quite new. And um, so I had an opportunity to go through the process and certainly learned a great deal going through that. And um, look forward to talking about um, both our experiences as Valesco Pharma and also um, more recently as part of, part of Pace Life Sciences today. Thanks, Jerry. Appreciate it. It's great to have you back. And Jean-Jacques, this is your debut on Molecule to Market. You uh, you have some stiff competition alongside you, but they're more colleagues rather than competition. So Jean-Jacques, tell, tell our listener who you are and, and what you do. Great. Thank you very much, Roman, for, uh, first of all, for this invitation and uh, you know being part of uh, this podcast with, uh, with Mark and, uh, and Jerry. So I'm uh, John Mandoloni. I'm the managing director with uh, Wombat Capital. We are an M&A advisory firm. We have, we have an office in uh, New York as well as in Paris. And um, I'm focusing primarily on pharma on the pharma sourcing market, uh, mainly in the API, CDMO, but we are also quite active in uh, uh, Finnish dosage form and uh, the analytical segment. And uh, as, a, as an advisor, we both advise uh, on the sell side and also on the, on the buy side, uh, mainly European companies or Asian companies looking to make acquisition in the US. And on the sell side, it's mainly US companies looking to be sold to international players. And as the M&A market is, is very dynamic and I'm I'm pleased to be part of this podcast, so we can we can talk to a little bit more about the trends. Um, you know, we see uh, definitely a big surge of activity 
uh, on the on the cross border front in pharma outsourcing. So thanks again, Raman, and uh, happy to to be part of this call with uh, with Joey and Mark. Well, thanks very much. And uh, you you mentioned something that we're going to go on to talk about, which is kind of the the kind of booming market and the trends. But before we do, what where I wanted to start today is uh, and John Jack, I'm going to start with you. Obviously, you've probably had your or been involved in your fair share of deals, both on the buy side and sell side. And for many of us that work in the sector, we kind of only get involved in them. You know, in my case, is when we're communicating a deal has happened, but. I would love you to kind of lift the lid on how some of these deals come about. Because for many people, the M&A piece is so exciting, but it's kind of like behind closed doors and no one really knows what happens. So I would love you to give our listener a bit of a, a kind of around the board table of how do these deals come about? And does someone just knock on another company's door? You know, what does the process look like? Uh, that would be great. And then once you've given us an overview, I'll, I'll get Mark's perspective on that as well. Yes, absolutely. I mean, one thing which which is quite interesting when you, when you look at, at, at the size of the market, this is uh, I, I, I read some stats about a market of around 180 billion in in, in in 2020 for the global CDMO market. This is also a very fragmented market. But it seems that when you go to uh, to trade shows or conferences, it seems that everybody knows everybody. It's a uh, it's a, it's still a tight community, and uh, you see a lot of M and A activities, you know, just starting with some, uh, you know, direct discussion or approach between one strategic and the other, or between one private equity firm and uh, you know, and, uh, and an entrepreneur or owner of a company. So, so you have you have two two ways to look at M and A. Sometimes you have, you know, broad based uh, M and A processes when you have a firm looking to you know to hire an investment bank uh, or an advisor to uh, you know to contact a large number of buyers or sometimes it just uh, you know starts with uh, with a negotiated approach um, but one thing to to be careful is uh, you know negotiated approach does not necessarily mean you know getting uh, you know getting the, the best terms for the buyer one thing that I realize is that sellers, including you know entrepreneurs, are uh, are very familiar with with the uh, M&A industry. Are very familiar with what's going on. Are familiar with uh, how much you know one of their peer you know has been acquired recently. So uh, you know you don't have like uh, we used to have. I will say maybe 10, 10, 15 years ago, the negotiated sale was the approach to get the best term. You know, not anymore. Often now, when you have a negotiated, you know, sale or a discussion with a, a very limited number of parties, it's more because the seller does not want to, uh, you know, to to have uh, every single players out there knowing that they are for sale, and the seller is trying to to keep, you know, this kind of discussion as confidential as possible, and um, and this is at the time when this. Uh, when this, uh, you know, this, this, this discussion progress, that then they, they hire uh, uh, an advisor or an investment banker to help them in, uh, you know, in running the process in the negotiation, etc. And, uh, and we can, you know, of course, talk a little bit more about that later on. But um, I, I find it quite interesting that uh, uh, in this, uh, in, uh, in, in this industry, 
uh, it still it still remains a small world. And um, so uh, you know, I I've been part of that industry probably for the last uh, for the last ten years, and I had the opportunity to meet some uh, you know some of these players, including Mark, who is on the on the podcast today, and uh, and uh, and develop good relationship with all of these companies. Thanks for that. And if I if I've understood correctly, then so you effectively have two things happen. One is a seller will actively put themselves on the market and you know kind of in a in a situation similar to what you mentioned there where they'll use an advisor effectively to say hey we are we are on the on the market and the negotiated sale if i've understood correctly jean jack is where you have two parties that kind of <laughs> fall in love or there's a there's a connection there and it's a bit more traditional is that is that yeah. a good broad split of the two and um uh, just yeah please correct me if i'm wrong no, absolutely. That's uh, yes, that's what uh, you have most of the time. Absolutely. Perfect. So, Mark, I'm going to ask you now in terms of you know, uh, I I'm, I can't remember what the number is, but I feel like it's fifteen or twenty plus acquisitions that you've been involved in in the last few years. So, Mark, talk us through how your, I suppose, the lens in which you look at these deals and based on what John Jack there there are they typically companies that are on the market or are you you know <laughs> falling in love with companies or actively knocking on the door of companies as a, as a buyer so, so we we've we've worked in all of those models I, I think um you know it's an extremely hot area um there's um you know it's an immature market it's 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 very fragmented as as john mentioned so there is a lot to do i think actually there there are, um you know there's a lot of consolidation going on I think it's quite interesting. The the banks and, and advisors like like John are always actually looking for an angle. How can we put together a deal? You know, because being a bit blunt about it, the way these guys earn their money is actually doing a deal and making a deal happen. So they're always looking to to how we can 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 make make a deal. And they spend a lot of time talking with the owners of, of these businesses, I'm sure. Um, you know, and, and staying close to them, you know, are they looking to do an exit, etc. I think from from our perspective, the majority of the deals we've we've done have been in the the more traditional sort of auction process. That could be a a wide process, but it could be a narrow one because actually doing these 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 deals for sellers is is actually very um, intensive, labor intensive, disruptive. You want to you know involving too many people. There's confidentiality confidentiality aspects to to consider. There's the disruption to the the business. Um, and then, you know, if you have people pouring over your your company, asking lots and lots of questions, you you your focus is away from running and growing the business. So so that that that's aspect one aspect. We've done um, transactions where we've been in a bilateral discussion, which is 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 very much um, you know preferable um, in that you, there is a you know you fall in love and there's a deal to be made or there isn't a deal deal to be made. So a number of our, our transactions are, are, have been like that. But I think it's for me, this is around knowing what's going on in the market. So I spend a lot of time talking to people and that's everybody from the, the banks, the advisors like John, um, often some of the, you know, some of the companies which would, we think would be a good fit, you know, actually talking to them. How, how could we collaborate going forward? And that could be from a business sense and could lead to, to, an, to an outright acquisition going forward. 
Um, so so I, I think working in all of these models, um, it's getting the, the deal flow and the sources and they can come from, from anywhere. And Mark, in, in your experience of all the transactions you've done, do you see one, is one model more successful over the other where, you know, if there's a, you know, an immediate fit in on both sides versus the kind of auction pro- process and, you know, the, the auction process to me kind of objectively seems quite clinical and, you know, and very kind of, you know, less romantic, if you like. Um, what, uh, does one work better than the other in your experience? You know, I'm, I'm talking post, post-acquisition year as well. You know, is, <laughs> does the infatuation run out? And actually, is the auction process just as likely to get a, a good end result? I think it's actually knowing your seller, because um, because often a seller, um, you know, a seller can be a, a, a you know, I'm looking forward to hearing uh, Jerry's comments, but often a seller, you know, his main motivation may not be to get the absolute last dollar. Um, it may be that they want he wants to partner. He may, maybe wants to stay on in the business. He maybe wants to partner with somebody who can nurture and take take his business along. He may want somebody who is is going to you know provide a really good. Um, uh, future f- for the staff so so I think it's it's really important to understand what the the motivation of the seller is and 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 you know sometimes that that determines who the buyer you know who they will choose to be the buyer and it's not always the uh, the person who's offering the the, the the highest amount of money at the end of the day don't get me wrong money's important but if all things are equal, um, you know, I, I think that's a very important aspect to it. And it's, you know, it's that these these founders and, and entrepreneurs, it's their baby, and they they want to make sure that it's nurtured and taken on in a good way. So, so that's really important. I love that, Mark. Really interesting perspective. And Jerry, that uh, Mark in his professional way has lined you up, but right, you know, beautifully there in terms of talk us through your recent deal. I appreciate obviously quite a lot. Of you know, confidence in terms of pace analyticals and, you know, obviously only share what you, you can share, but as a seller and, you know, what, what other options did you consider? Did they knock on your door? If you can kind of give us an insight into how that came about and how that process developed, that would be, that would be great. Sure, man. Sure. Um, you know, a lot of the comments I'm hearing, um, they, they do resonate and, and, you know, what we went through and, um, so, so maybe just a, a bit more background. Um, so, you know, my partner and I um, worked for Pfizer for quite a while. So we came out of the um, Ann Arbor, Michigan Pfizer research site, which was quite quite a large site. So um, that was closed back in 2007. Um, so that, that's really when Valesco Pharma was started. And I, I remember way back then, um, everyone was always telling, oh, you have to have your exit plan together and all this. And I'm like, exit plan? We just want to have a, a, a startup our company plan. Um, so we, 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 you know, we actually ran Valesco Pharma and grew Valesco Pharma um, for, for 14 years, which, um, you know, sounds like a long time, but it went, went by very, very quickly. So, I mean, we certainly did have our heart and soul in the company, and, and it was really important for us to find a, a partner that was going to treat our people right, that was going to continue the legacy that we had built. So that was really important for us. So through those years... And I'm sure that, uh, you know, Mark was there and John was there at the, based on the comments I just heard, um, you know, we were at trade shows and, and other various ways where we were connecting with people. And, um, you know, we stayed in touch with, um, uh, we met investment bankers. Um, we uh, certainly met PE firms. We met companies that were looking to acquire firms like Valesco Pharma. Um, you know, we're a contract development manufacturing organization. So we're, we're very much a development company. 
Um, we do a lot of work, um, you know, early phase work with like small to mid-sized pharma companies, formulation analytical, and we also do uh, contract um, trial materials. So um, uh, we, we, we started to learn the process over the years and we stayed in touch with people. So um, uh, we had a strategic plan where we were going to, you know, likely exit the business um, through sale, which, um, you know, it's, it's not a family business by any means, right? So um, uh, like many in, in the industry, uh, we did foresee that's the way it would happen. Um, but we thought it would probably be a couple of years from now before we, uh, we sold the company. That was our, you know, when we were talking about this maybe a year or two ago. Um, but you know the market changed. I mean, um, uh, you know, coming through the pandemic was a was a very stressful time. But very soon after that, I mean, business accelerated, and there was a lot of money that that was uh, invested into the drug development space. Needless to say, um, and there were, there were companies that we we had stayed in touch with along the way. We were still in touch with, um, you know, Pace, um, who we ultimately sold our company to. Um, you know, they're they're very focused on growing their life science business. Um, they were really patient in the process. Um, they have a team dedicated, I think much like the work that Mark does to, uh, you know, to doing deals. Um, they invited me out to a couple of their sites. So I had a chance to see, I actually live in the Boston area. Um, and I went to a couple of their local sites. I met the, the, uh, the, the, the uh, former owners who had sold their companies to, to pace and got really comfortable. And, you know, we weren't, we weren't in a rush and, um, and um, and we had a few conversations going on, but I think one thing that we we realized along the way is um, we really wanted to stay in development and partner with a development, um, you know, CDMO or, or you know, versus a say a CMO that was doing more commercial manufacture. It just felt like we were talking the same language, that there was tremendous synergies, and so um, you know, as as things picked up in the space and and um, uh, you know th- through the course of this year. Um, you know, valuations were different. Um, we were we were having you know great financial success. So the, the the stars just just aligned, and it just made sense for us to look at this more seriously. So um, you know, I wouldn't say that we did a um, you know an auction process by any means, but we did you know we did have an investment banker who helped us out, um, did a really nice job for us. And we did a, a small process that 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 involved um, you know the companies that we had already been speaking with because um, we kept you know we, we kept those communications going. And um, and also had some others, so I think that was a good idea. I mean, not just financially, but also um, you know it's good to have some options, you know. And um, I think if we just right away started talking with Pace or another company and and didn't consider other alternatives, it would have been harder harder for us to get comfortable. Um, so um, you know, I, I did hear this point about this disruption to our business, and that was also huge to us. I mean, the, the idea of doing due diligence. Um, given the scale of our company and, you know, all the responsibilities that we have was, was quite frightening. And, you know, the other thing that went really, really well for us is, um, you know, from the, from the time we signed a letter of intent until when we closed was, was really quick. Um, and so, so they were, you know, pace turned out to be excellent at the execution of a, of a transaction. And um, that was huge for us. Cause if I had to do it for another month or so, I, I, that, that, that would have been tough. That would have been tough. So, and what 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 was the time? What was the just? I, I have no idea. Was it like a month, six months, three what, from signing a letter of intent to actually? So, so I, I would say six, seven weeks. Okay. Um, okay. So I, I don't know what Mark and John's experience has been, but, but this is um, you know this this was was very quick. I mean, there was a, a tremendous amount of information that was shared over a short, short amount of time. But what I just walked through, I mean, I visited their locations towards the beginning of twenty twenty one. So, I mean, there was a whole process that we went through, you know, but I, th- I think once we decided that, that Pace was going to be a great partner for us, you know, we, we just dove right in. 
And um, we were highly motivated to get, you know, get closed by October 1st and we were able to pull it off. And, you know, our investment banker was a great help. I mean, Pace was really excellent at it. Um, also really helpful to have a, um, a great attorneys working on your side, right, that are turning things around quickly. So there's a whole number of factors I and mean, I could go on and on. But, you know, we, we were surrounded by, um, you know, people that were really at the top of their profession. And um, um, that helped us to get things through things very quickly because, you know, I, I was certainly concerned about, um, you know, what would happen to our business if we didn't get this done and, and move forward. You're listening to Molecule to Market where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. We are supported by ZymeWire, which is the leader in actionable sales intelligence for life science business development professionals. In fact, thousands of life science BD professionals start their day with sales signals from ZymeWire. And our friends at ZymeWire are giving Molecule to Market listeners an exclusive deal. Just head to zymewire.com forward slash Molecule to Market to learn more. You mentioned private equity, Jerry and John. John Jack, I'm hoping to bring you back in here. Obviously, you and probably Mark, I suspect, can add some insight. You know, obviously, within the, within the CDMO space in particular, the big deals we've seen over the last couple of years have been a combination obviously a uh, kind of strategic trade sale as as in in J- jerry's case with valesco but a lot of the deals we're seeing are you know private equity companies that are, are buying businesses so john what, what what's your take on the role of private equity in these m a deals and jerry i'm going to come back and ask if you considered that route as well in, in a moment but i'd love john to just give us a bit of an overview as to you know <laughs> why would private equity be an option for some of these businesses? What role do they play today versus, say, 10 years ago? would love you take. I suspect you've seen that evolve over the last decade or so. Yes, absolutely. And one thing which is, which is quite interesting is uh, uh, if, if you look at the, the number of transactions in, uh, in, uh, in 2020 or the first half of, uh, of 2021, um, I believe that around 60% of this transaction, you know, um, you know, have been done with with private equity firm. So definitely a big surge of activity of private equity firm. Um, and I think that the the, the COVID or you know, post COVID environment, if I can say that, has a, uh, has really put a, a a spotlight in the industry. Uh, before COVID, a lot of uh, individuals or investors uh, believed that the big pharma were doing everything. We are doing the research, we are doing the development, we are doing the manufacturing, and and COVID has really uh, uh, put a spotlight on the on the, the supply industry or the R and D industry, pharma, pharmaceutical outsourcing industry. And uh, what you're seeing is you're seeing much more interest uh, for that industry today that you uh, you may have seen you know, in the last you know, 10, 15 years. Um, and the, the interest is not only coming from strategic, but it's also coming from private equity firm now. We often actually receive phone calls from private equity firm, which may be generalist. Uh, who don't necessarily have 
uh, 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 pharma outsourcing or uh, 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 a CDMO uh, experience or, uh, or knowledge and who are, uh, you know, who want to buy a CDMO. So, uh, and I think this is, uh, this is very much following, you know, what happened during the COVID period. Um, one thing which is also interesting with private equity firm is in the past, we used to, to see strategic being very competitive. We used to say, oh, strategic buyers, you know, could assess synergies and uh, be more competitive than a private equity firm, which may have to, to get, uh, you know, proper debt financing and uh, who may have some limitation as it relates to the equity that they could put on a deal, etc., etc. And that's something that, uh, that uh, we are seeing less. Uh, we have actually closed recently some transactions with, with private equity firm uh, on a broader process and uh, private equity firm ended up being much more competitive than, than strategic. So you're, 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 seeing, uh, you're seeing, I will say today, uh, strategic and, uh, uh, and private equity firm, you know, playing equally as it relates to uh, their capabilities to, to propose, you know, an attractive purchase price. One thing that I'm also seeing, which, uh, which is uh, very much for you know, 2020, 2021 period, things that we, we, we saw less in the past, is everybody is aware that we are still in a, you know, in a, in a seller market with, uh, you know, with attractive multiples, uh, a lot of transactions happening. I think that in the first half, uh, we had more transactions that uh, uh, we had in the uh, on an average, you know, or yearly average that we had in the last, uh, you know, three or four years. So definitely a lot of lots of activities. So everybody is aware that uh, you know multiples remain high, and uh, uh, it's a it's a good time to sell your business. Uh, but a lot of these entrepreneurs also feel that it's a good time to sell the business, but they're not necessarily there yet. They are not necessarily, they still have room to grow. And uh, this is the reason why some of them may prefer the private equity route versus the strategic. I mean, as Jerry mentioned, you know, what's interesting with, with the strategic is that you have, a, you know, you find a partner which can share your view and then you can be part of a larger entity where you can cross-sell services, you can accelerate growth, and uh, and uh, and also create all kind of benefits for your employees, which can be part of a much bigger family. Um, but sometimes the entrepreneur feels that uh, the entrepreneur likes to stay, you know, the in the the, the size it is uh, would like an accelerator. Uh, does not necessarily want to be part of a larger family and goes the private equity route. The private equity route, which can serve as an accelerator to bring the business to another level. And then in, in three, four or five years, thinking about selling it to then a strategic buyer. And what 
what happens with this entrepreneur is today they can benefit this high valuation and high multiple and then roll over some equity and keep some equity in the business for a certain period of time and then in three, four, five years when the company will be sold, benefit from that rollover. Um, so that's something that, uh, that we are seeing more where we get some mandates which are not to, to do a, a, a broad auction process with a mix of strategic and private equity firm, but just with a mandate to contact only private equity firm. And I think this is also a change. And I will stop there and, you know, please ask any question uh, if, you, if you have one. No, that's fascinating, John. And I think, you know, I think what you covered there in terms of the attractiveness of the sector, I remember being on a, a roundtable call myself about six months ago and someone called our space the kind of uh, the most investable part of the sector in the market. And so, Mark, I'm going to come to you based on what John said there, you know, PE taking 60, 60% of the deals, making deals more competitive, adding to higher multiples. You know, are PE the bane of your life? You know, it's interesting. I've been quite lucky, actually, but it's part of working for the same company for so long, I guess. But I've worked in, in three broad scenarios. I've worked in the sort of family base where all the all the shares were owned by the founders. So, so that was my, my the first part of my career within Farm. Then we went through an IPO and a listing. And then back in February, we were delisted, taken private by um, a private equity company. Um, I think there's advantages to all of those. And, um, you know, I'm not going to say one is better than the other. But what I would say about private equity is um, I've been mightily impressed because, yeah, I think everybody talks, thinks about private equity or oh, what they're going to do. Are they going to come and lean us out? Are they going to watch all the pennies? But I think, you know, my experience of private equity has been brilliant. Um, I think our, our particular private equity company is, is EQT. Um, I think they've been able to bring a, a, a level of financial governance, which we, we probably didn't have in, the, in quite the same way as before. Um, they're extremely supportive um, and they are um, using Resifarm really as a platform to expand in the, in the space. So some of the deals which we've been looking at, we probably wouldn't have been able to do in a, um, in, in a listed setting and certainly not in a private setting um because because there you know there's probably too much short-term focus on things so um I, I i'm very positive actually to to, to our my experience with, with with private equity do you not compete with i mean where my question was is was for you mark is presumably when you're trying to buy a, a, another organization in the space based on what john jack said there are you often competing against private equity companies almost more, more so than your traditional competitors now? Um, yeah, I would I would say that's the case. But many of our competitors are essentially hybrids as we are. You know, they're, sure. they're strategic, but they've got private equity money behind them. So, that you know, there's there's very few companies which are pure listed companies or pure private. Com- well, there's, there's a number of pure private, but, but the ones of size are, are really private equity backed, I would say. So it's kind of a hybrid, and which we are in that, in that situation as well. It's great to get your perspective on the kind of the private equity side of things. And Jerry, just to, to finish off with this particular kind of question around private equity, was that a route you considered? And was there a connection 
to pace which made you think they're the right fit obviously was it a meeting of minds and cultures and uh in almost the development expertise that Jean said that's almost like you're speaking the same language or were you tempted down the PE route as well? Yeah, we definitely looked at PE. Um, you know, the handful of options that we're looking at, um, a couple of them were PE. Um, and I think it would have, to be honest, I think it would have been quite enjoyable if, if we did go down that path. Um, and I think it was described well by, by John and Mark and that, um, you know, you, you, you continue to build your business. Um, you obviously have capital. Um, you're making, you know, some strategic decisions with a, a very um, experienced partner um, and you grow your business further and then you have another exit down the road. Um, so um, I, I personally like that a lot. I mean, you know, just kind of given where I am, my career and what I enjoy doing. Um, so, so we gave that serious consideration. Um, you know, I think in retrospect, um, you know, what we did do with a strategic, which, you know, this has already been mentioned. I mean, they have a private, private equity company behind them, but you know, they, they certainly the way they structured their offer was more like a strategic um, um, I, I think across our organization, for myself, my partner, for our colleagues, for you know where we're going to be a few years from now, th- this was a good fit. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, one thing that I've been so pleased with since um, since we closed the deal is I can have compl- completely different conversations with the marketplace. You know, because you know, uh, Pace Life Sciences has um, um, you know extensive oral oral solid dose capabilities. They have a couple of sterile facilities. They have a a central lab that has all kinds of capabilities that we were sending out to third parties before. So we've been able to change the conversation. Um, you know, we have a, um, you know, they, they, they really came in and took care of our team right from the very beginning from an HR perspective. So I think people really feel appreciated. So it, it was a very different experience joining Pace than I think it would have been if we went private equity, which would have more, maybe things wouldn't have felt different at all, but and we would have been trying to figure out a strategic plan. And maybe a few months from now, we would have done some things and, um, you know, I think you have to have a lot of patience if you're heading down that, that track. Um, though I think it'd be really enjoyable and, and, um, uh, you could really create something, um, you know, for us, all things considered going down the strategic path for sure has been, been the right fit for us. No, it's great. Great. Jerry. And I think for our listener, I think it's great to get the real life insight into a founder like yourself that's had to navigate or have to probably not the right phrase you know you've 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 been able to build a great business and navigate these options and, and find the one that that felt right for you and your organization and um, mark i'm going to come back to you and and you know your your day job is <laughs> finding sourcing and then ultimately you know offering and delivering deals what what is driving all the MA? in this space at the minute and i'm also interested in any insights you can share in terms of whether it's areas of expertise geography scale of companies you know jean jack mentioned multiples you know not necessarily to go into detail around that you know with confidential deals but it'd be just great to hear your view on you know why why is there so so much mna and also just some of the kind of nuances between what what companies are looking for in the space right now yeah, I mean, I, I think the 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 M and A focus on the the CDMO industry is a reflection of of the immaturity of it, or relative immaturity of it. Um, so there is um, opportunities. Um, we, we've talked a little bit about the the fragmented nature of of the, of the business and the consolidation opportunities. I, I think that that's driving a lot of it. I think the other thing is, you know, um, and I said this in the last podcast that. 
the CDMO industry has had a very good COVID um, from a, you know, from, you know, putting the disease aside, I think from, from a business perspective, most CDMOs have actually um, thrived in, in this environment. I think it's been, you know, recognised how important that the, the, the industry is to the, the broader pharma uh, industry. You know, they bring flexibility, this can-do approach, you know, getting these vaccines. Many of the CDMOs have participated in in, in producing the vaccines very, very quickly. So I think there's a, a you know, there's a good focus and um, good PR, if you like, on, on the CDMO industry. Um, so it makes sense for, 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 for people to be, be interested in it. So I think when you, you, you sort of roll these things up, um, it, 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 it means that there, that there will be, um, you know, the people will be fighting for, the, for these assets. Um, and I think that, that that's my, my take on this. Um, I think it's fair to say that the the multiples have, have increased. So so the multiples of uh, earnings are, have been going up. Um, uh, and I think the geographical perspective on this is also uh, important. I mean, I, I think generally they've gone up, but the US has always been the the, um, the the highest market or the highest price market for, for opportunities. I think that's just been exacerbated and, and continues. And there's some incredible um, valuations that, that go on in, 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 in particularly in the US. Um, Are you able to share, Mark, in terms of what, just get like, you know, give, give me a range of, you know, it used to be 10, you know, or five EBITDA, and now it's 20 or something like that, just to kind of give our listener a, a kind of a feel for how dramatic the shift, you know, because I hear anecdotally from private equity folks I know and <laughs> and people like Sean Jack, you know, how crazy some of the multiples are. Do you mind kind of just sharing some of the things you've seen and also just how that's changed over the years? Yeah, I, th I think for some assets, we've seen things trading at 20 plus times, which is incredible. You know, we've I, I, I've not seen things trading at, at, at those levels. I mean, may, maybe some very high growth things but but we say you know it's not unusual to see 18 20 times um transactions in 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 this area you know i was reflecting and i remember a number of years ago i i bought a sterile lyophilization uh, facility and i think it was the equivalent of four times admittedly it was a bit of a carve out but it was like four times EBITDA. i'm thinking wow if we could just find those again it's, uh, <laughs> it's so they, i'm guessing they just don't exist in the sector anymore you just you're not no. likely unless there's a real turnaround job required from a, a quality or regulatory perspective on a facility but i'm guessing it's hard to find those bargains you know, I, i've got a saying you sort of um, you, you you pay a lot and you cry once. If you don't pay so much buying distressed assets, it's likely you're going to cry <laughs> several times before um, <laughs> get it turned around. The, you know, because like like oil tankers, pharma facilities, they they take some turning around if they're on the wrong uh, wrong, uh, wrong track. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Thanks, Mark and and John Jack. Uh, coming back to you, talking about both multiples would be interested in is your experience similar to marks in, in terms of the levels you're seeing uh I'm, I'm not asking jerry to share his multiple or anything like that but i'm sure jerry's sitting there thinking well i hope i got i wish i got 25 <laughs> um, but like you know on the multiple side john jack would be great to get your take but also 
what are you seeing from a you know you know obviously the viral vector space you've got large molecule seemingly getting more and more you know some bioanalytical companies are, seem to be going for big big bucks so what are you seeing in terms of whether kind of where the crazy numbers are and you know are there are there any bargains <laughs> are there any places in the market that mark should be probably uh, <laughs> should be shopping <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I agree with 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 Mark comments. I mean, you you're seeing some, uh, you know, some definitely some fairly high multiples. Of course, it has to be with high growth companies, with uh, you know, the the CDMO market is also uh, uh, you have a lot of sub segment in the CDMO market, and uh, you know, uh, uh, Mark mentioned. Uh, you know, sterile facilities. You know, clearly you're you're on the upper end of the of uh, of the multiple, and uh, on the other end you may have uh, you know some uh, more uh, I would say uh, contract chemistry organization with non GMP capabilities. But one thing that I can say is uh, probably in the in the last couple of years you've seen some some increase of EBITDA multiple of uh, you know, 20 to 30 percent, you know, irrespective of what is the base of the multiple, definitely there has been, a, 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 you know, a, a major increase of uh, in the EBITDA multiple. And that's a, and the, the driver for that is, a, uh, is what Mark mentioned, you know, market which is still very fragmented, very immature, uh, companies looking for capabilities, uh, companies looking for scale, uh, or geographic presence, right? I think that uh, when we talked about uh, geographic presence during COVID, uh, you had this word of reassuring. Uh, I think it's not necessarily reassuring, it's more proximity to your uh, R&D partner, proximity to your manufacturer. And um, you're not only seeing that in the US uh, or in Europe, but I think it's going to be all over the world, including also in Asia. If somebody will want to play, if a European company like Mark's company wants to have a strong customer base in the US, there's a company we need to have capabilities in the US to do the same in Asia in China or in Japan or in India, it will be the same thing. This notion of, of proximity, which was less uh, uh, prevalent in the past. And uh, I think that uh, number one is proximity because you want to make sure that what is being done is you know, based on your specific specs, uh, based on the timeline that you have, based on the, on the cost that you lay out. But COVID has also demonstrated that when you're looking at larger scale capabilities, you can have some supply chain issues. Okay. And, uh, and I think that this is, this will call for proximity also for, for larger manufacturing. Of course, when you're talking about, uh, about, uh, some of the generic drugs, which are being manufactured in China or in India, they will remain manufacturer in China and in India, because from a cost structure point of view, it will be difficult to have them being manufactured in the US uh, and uh, or in Europe. Mm -hmm. But if you're looking at uh, 
you know, at uh, high value, low volume, uh, orphan drug products, um, you're going to, to see more local manufacturing. So geographic presence is clearly a driver uh, for the years to come. And also one thing that you're seeing, you talked about viral vector and, uh, and uh, small molecule, large molecule, you're seeing some integration you see some small molecule players looking at large molecule. You see some drug substance players looking at drug products. Uh, you see some integration uh, across the supply chain. Uh, of course, because of the supply chain disruption, but you see some players uh, who are in the API in, in the US and in Europe looking at uh, acquiring some RSM manufacturer in India or in China. Uh, so you see integration uh, across the, the board from from uh, intermediates to API to analytical services uh, to uh, finish dosage form. And then one thing which is also interesting to look at is uh, you have uh, some companies, uh, medium-sized players, uh, which are uh, providing drug substances, drug products, but are, but are also looking at clinical trial services. And a bigger example is probably the acquisition of uh, of PPD by by Thermo Fisher. So you see uh, more and more integration, which I think which I think uh, is going to be uh, uh, also a, a major driver for growth in in the year to come. Yeah, some terrific insights there, Jean-Jacques. Thanks for sharing and the nuances around the geography and, and I suppose the owning different aspects of the supply chain and you know trying to get into complementary areas. And Jerry, what Mark and John have just described there, you know, is almost a perfect storm of an opportunity for an entrepreneur and founder like yourself. So for you, was it just all of these headwinds? and factors ultimately contributing to, it was just the right time for you and your fellow founder. Is that a fair assumption of, of kind of where your head was at given the context of the marketplace? I think as, as I said earlier, um, you know, things really aligned for us. I mean, we, we thought there would be growing um, and becoming a larger company before we'd uh, would sell our organization. And um, things just sped up for all the reasons we've been discussing in this call. Um, so the time was right and we got very comfortable and, um, you know, looking back at it, I mean, I feel quite fortunate given, you know, how we all felt when the pandemic started versus where we are right now. I mean, it almost feels like it was a turnaround story, at least, uh, and, uh, how we we're all feeling about the uncertainty of the world, you know? Um, so, um, but, but now I'm, I'm focused and certainly keenly listened to this discussion on being part of a larger organization. Um, so, you know, Pace Life Sciences and, um, they're very committed to uh, to growing their organization. It's going to be, you know, could be some more acquisitions down the road in the life science division. Um, so, um, you know, I'm, I'm part of that now. And, um, you know, I, I think just kind of understanding where the marketplace is going and, and if there's things like, you know, the, the importance of having, you know, manufacturers that are, that are in geographic proximity to um, to their clients if those things are going to become more important, then I think we have to bring that into our own discussions. So, um, you know, having lived through this and, and um, uh, you know, sold our company, 
now being part of a, a larger organization that's continuing to to do these activities. I mean, is that that fires me up going forward for my own career? You know, things that I can get involved in. So I think as entrepreneurs are, are making the transition, um, you know, I think they should look for opportunities where they can continue to do what they love. You know. Mm-hmm. No, that's great. It's a, it's a fascinating insight from your perspective of, of what it enables you to do. So final question, guys, because we have a, a, just a couple of minutes left. And I know we've talked about some of the you know driving factors towards the M&A in the space, but I suppose my big final question, one our listeners will probably want to get your take on is, you know, will this M&A kind of velocity continue? And do any of you see a slowdown you know, on the horizon or will, will the three of us be doing this, or sorry, will the four of us, including me, be doing this in a couple of years, talking about even more m and even more growth and even higher multiples? So I'll start with you, Mark, and then I'll, I'll move to, to Jean-Jacques and then to Jerry to give his final thoughts. Um, just answering the question on the multiples. I mean, this is a guy who could have invested in Bitcoin or nearly invested in Bitcoin in 2013 and didn't because I thought there's no, there's no no future. But um, I, <laughs> I I kind of think that um, the multiples are, are very high at the moment. I would be very surprised if they continued on these levels. Um, so, so I think there'll be some form of, of correction. How big a correction, I, I, I don't know. Um, I think the, um, the activity will continue whether it'll be at this high high level again probably not but um i, I so, so, so i think i think it'll be be at a, a high level because the, the fundamentals are good i think the valuations in the medium term will probably come off a little bit in terms of multiples but i think these companies are obviously all, always growing all the time so in absolute terms they'll be be, be, be high numbers still thanks martin john jack more deals equals uh more deals and higher value deals is good for you and your business so i'm hoping or i'm expecting you to say this is going to continue or are you expecting to see a slowdown yeah i mean it's uh yeah it's, it's very difficult to to comment on the on, on the multiples one thing that uh that uh i can say is uh i think that that with record level of funding you know for emerging pharma and you know a growing number of participants uh, in the CDMO space, uh, you know, the need for capacity, you know, consolidation at every sizes, um, and, uh, you know, and uh, a, a stronger presence of uh, private equity firms who ultimately have an exit strategy uh, at a certain period of time, you know, I think that uh, we are co- going to continue to see, uh, you know, a, a lot of activity in this sector and uh you know and uh, and a lot, lot of deals uh mm-hmm. in the you know in the next few years thanks john and, and jerry any final thoughts from yourself now you've switched from seller to buyer by the sounds of you know you're ready to go get your uh get your cart and go shopping <laughs> with your pace hat on you know love love your take on on whether you think you know the market will continue in this vein and you know even interesting what john said there you know in my mind, the more private equity companies, the more attractive the sector. It's going to drive competition. It's going to drive value potentially as well. So, keen on your any any final thoughts from you? Sure, sure. So, um, certainly, Mark and John would would have more of a macro view because um, that's that's you know where they're focused. And so, I, I agree with their comments. Um, you know, there's a lot of money out there, right? There's there's you know with all the stimulus money that was spent and 
and um, the interest in the drug development space right now. So, um, you know, I think that that's going to create opportunities. Um, I think the other thing that that may at least bring down valuations is, is um, you know, smaller companies that are seeing what's happening in the space right now. I think there's going to be more CDMOs. Um, you know, the, it, it's, it's an attractive space to be in right now. So um, that would create more, comp, you know, maybe switches the seller-buyer dynamic a little bit if there's more companies that enter the space. So um, that could change things. But um, I see this going for a while. I mean, I, I know there was a lot of talk about in 2021 that people wanted to close deals before the end of the year so that they could take advantage of uh, capital gains taxes, which which may, you know, the tax rate may go up going forward and it's uncertain, but it, it may. Um, so, um, but I, I think that um, there's a lot of momentum. There's a lot of money to be invested and um, it's going to go for a while. Well, I think that's a very encouraging point to, you know, end our roundtable today. More investment, more CDMOs, more opportunity. Uh, thank you very much to my guests, Mark, Jean-Jacques and Jerry. Uh, you've all been absolutely terrific. Appreciate your time very much, gentlemen. Thank you for joining us as uh, as guests on our, our roundtable today. Thanks, Roman. Pleasure. Thanks, Roman. Thank you, Roman. Hi again. Thanks so much for tuning in to Molecule to Market. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can find more shows on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. Get in touch with us on our website, moleculetomarketpod.com, and follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter, and we will see you again next week. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile and generate leads in life sciences.